This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. What's wrong with it? I love the fact that people can't stand it. Yeah. That a lot I of people can't stand it. It's yeah. great. Mackey and Judd. If you'd vote for Donald Trump, you can't stand it. Yes. Right. Yes, you're right. convinced this is the worst thing ever to happen <laughs> yes, in sport. Right. On 1500 ESPN. You know, I got a little emergency hot stove for you, gentlemen. Well, it's about time. Two, two different things here to note. In fact, there's a great summation of the of the latest on you, Darvish, on MLB trade rumors right now. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the John Morosi tweet. John Morosi does a great job. He's MLB Network. He's Fox Sports, MLB.com, and he's been on the show a few times. Source, you, Darvish, is increasingly likely to sign with a major league team this week, mm-hmm. period. Yep. Second thought. And then the second thought in that same tweet is, Twins are among the teams with whom he is engaged in ongoing discussions. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a very strategic tweet. You've done a lot of reporting in your day, and we follow all kinds of top MLB. This, to me, he knows there's more. Like, he's reported previously that other teams have been involved. So it's not like his only information is, oh, you Darvish is going to sign, and the only team I've linked to them is the Twins. Like, I'm sure he's linked the Yankees and the Astros and all the other teams, and there was a report that the Brewers made an offer on yeah. him. The Cubs, yes. This is interesting because it feels to me like a really credible reporter, not 100% sure that the Twins are the team that's going to sign him, mm-hmm. but that he thinks the Twins are going to sign him. There's a lot of smoke here. You, Darvish, and the Twins. I think what this is is John Morosi having a conversation with uh, Darvish's rep, and the rep saying it looks like it's probably going to get done this week. And John saying, who's the favorite? Who should I float as the favorite? And the rep saying, I don't know for sure. The Brewers just came to us, and we're still talking to, let's say, the Cubs and Yankees. But the Twins are doing pretty well here. And Morosi saying, oh, okay. So if I float the Twins in an independent thought in, in the same tweet, am I going to be okay? And the agent saying, absolutely. Yeah, That's what this strikes me as. This is interesting. Um, I'm going to give you a couple nuggets here from MLB Trade Rumors. The Twins remain actively engaged with Darvish, Morosi writes in an article. Though that has been known for some time now, we last checked in on Minnesota's interest yesterday, with indications being the team wasn't willing to make a market-topping offer. Of course, numerous other teams, in addition to any mystery entrance, Mm -hmm. I love mystery teams, are still reported to be in pursuit. We've heard chatter recently of an offer from the Brewers, Significant engagement from the Cubs, who did have like a four-hour meeting. And just signed Jimenez, correct? Uh, I think they signed him a couple days ago. Okay. Oh, did they? Yes. I missed that. And he's he's used Buddy, so that okay. might factor in as well. And ongoing interest from the Rangers and Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the Twins, this is where it gets a little dicey, because you Darvish is 29 years old, and he does have the Tommy John history from a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. He hasn't quite been the same lights-out pitcher in the last year or so than he was maybe previously. Still really good. Mm-hmm. Although across the league, home runs and offense were up, so you could say that about almost every pitcher but Clayton Kershaw. If it's five or six years and upwards of $150 million, that's a lot you know of what? money to pay for a guy you who's know what? probably not going to live up to it. But if it's like four or five years and more front-loaded, they're talking about front-loading the contract to maybe $30 million the first couple of years, and then you would pay... 
15 to $10 million instead on the back end. That would make sense. In, in this climate, it's going to be the second one, the latter, not the former. In this, If the Twins get Darvish, you are going to have the, the market to thank. Because and, and here's what I want to know, and, and I'm almost become convinced of this, and it's going to take a while. At what point in time is there a collusion filing of some sort? This offseason has been bonkers. This has been too weird. I don't think it's uh, so. Here's here's well, first it's, of all, it's I, I don't very think it's, remindful of was that the 1990 off offseason or 89 going into 90? It reminds me of that one. Well, I don't think it's official collusion. I think front offices by and large are just. They've looked around for 20 years at every top pitcher contract and said, why the hell, when a guy's about to turn 30 years old, do we want to pay him $150 million over multiple years and have an 80% chance that he misses a full season or regresses you know, back to some subpar performance? I think, I think front offices are getting smart, but then if you're a player or you're an agent and yep. you're saying, wait a second, I was under team control for six years. For three of those, I made $500,000. Like Mike Trout won an MVP award, I think, making Mm $500,000. Now, he did have a signing bonus, but he wasn't a super high draft pick either. It wasn't like the first overall pick. But yes. So I can see this clash of, and both sides are right. Players and agents are going to argue, well, wait a second. I deserved a lot more money when I was awesome at age 23, 24, 25. Now I'm a free agent. I want to make $100 million. And teams are like, well, your best years were already behind you, and I'm not going to pay you for what you did. Exactly. They're going to almost have to figure this out over labor negotiations. And it, this is this is players across the board, right? Not just pitchers. Martinez, I think, is still out there. I think Boston talked to him. But, I mean, it, it's remarkable when, when you hear the reports about about the amount of, of serious discussions that have gone on, and yeah. there haven't been that many. Like, there's a lot of guys, it's January now, and there's a lot of guys floating around who have gotten some phone calls, but nothing serious. I have a p- potential contract structure for you. There was a report a couple weeks ago that this front-load the Darvish conversation, you know, front-load his contract. Because if, if the problem is, if you're a Derek Falvey or a Thad Levine, And the problem, rightfully so, is we don't want to pay $25 million for Hugh Darvish's age 34, 35 season, multiple years after arm surgery. Maybe he has maybe he has more lingering problems right now. We think he's really good. So we'll pay market value or more right now to help this team get over the hump. Mm -hmm. But we want some assurances that on the back end of that contract, if he's not as good or if he's hurt, that we're not shelling out 25 or 30 million dollars. Check my math on this, but what if it's a five-year deal mm-hmm. for $120 million? And he makes $30 million, $30 million the first two years. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't quite be the highest paid pitcher in baseball. Zach Grinke makes like 35, but the same principle. And then you'd scale it back as the contract goes on. $25 million, $20 million, and then $15 million. And both sides get an opt-out after the first two years. So after the after the second year, okay. So you pay him sixty million dollars over the first two years. Yep. And you've got the room to do it. I mean, Derek Falvey and Jim Pola and Thad Levine have all said it's more about like length of contract than yep. current money. Right. So you pay him. He'd be a mercenary. You pay you Darvish sixty million dollars over the first two years, mm-hmm. and then there'd be three years left on the contract at twenty five, twenty, and fifteen million dollars, and both sides get to after two years sort of. Reopt in, right? And reassess. The twins can say, "Oh, we yes. love you. We're going to opt back in." Or Darvis can say, "You know what? I'm 31 and I'm still lights out. Yes, yeah, I want to opt out and and go somewhere and else. Test the market again. That seems like I'm fine with that. 
And, and if you consider, so I think the report came out in the last two days that the Brewers are now involved. If the Brewers are involved, you know that this is no more than a five-year deal, and it might be four. Or an like opt-out after two. Right, but I'm saying if, if Milwaukee yeah. actively steps in, this is not six years. Yeah. When Milwaukee walks into the room, yeah, you know like, it's not six it's years. Like all the, it ain't $200 million. All the Brewers are here, and they're drunk, <laughs> and, and they smell bad, and they're fat. And let's be honest, if the Twins are still in the room, it's the same thing. The Twins have never done this, but the Twins have gone $50 million over four years. I'm just saying years. Milwaukee always, well, it seems like with players like this, when the Brewers get involved, it's always because the guy's basically going to make a fraction of, of what he first thought. <laughs> it's like Milwaukee's here, and they're oh, eating damn. cheese, and they're drinking Miller Light, and they're drunk again, and they're fat, and their gut's hanging out. Their front office members are all like all that, right, too. All right, we'll take your money. All their all their assistant GM is yeah. basically that that you just He's described. He's burping like Barney from The Simpsons. <laughs> so, but that's the that is the that's the type yeah, of like contract that. that would bring the Brewers and the Twins into the mix, and it would be a way for you, Darvish, to say, okay, I want to make a lot of money, but I want to be able to if I'm lights out after two years, mm-hmm. I want to go back to the market and test it out. Mm-hmm. And if I'm Falvey and Levine, I say, wait a second. You can be a mercenary for us for a couple of years, and maybe beyond that, but for sure for the next two years. And it helps both sides. Yes, please. That that would seem to be a make, a make sense deal for both sides. I like it. So, again, the report is John Morosi said, you Darvish is increasingly expected to sign with a major league team this week. And he adds, the Twins are among the teams with whom he is engaged in ongoing discussions. That's That's a reporter's way of saying... I can't report this yet, but I've been tipped but, off. But to the, the Twins the and New Darvish are getting pretty close to a deal here. That would be if that happens. And now it's you Darvish, whatever's left of Irvin Santana after that shellacking in New York, but he was really good in the regular season. Barrios and Barrios on the rise, and then whatever else you yeah. can get from you, know, you put eight guys you, in the mix for those last. Stabilize you a lot. You feel much more comfortable going into a playoff series with Addison Reed, mm-hmm. with uh, with you Darvish, big time upgrades. All right, let's let's get to this love boat documentary audio when we come back. Let's just say Fred Smoot, not exactly apologetic <laughs> about what happened on that Alan Almas boat in 2005. Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Back, back. On 1500 ESPN. Oh, my gosh. Real, real quick, real quick, before we get into this love boat audio, we should just loop that song under the whole rest of the segment, by the yes, way. Yes, we should. We have to address this quick breaking news. Mm-hmm. There were some rumblings. Thad Levine made mention of of Glenn Perkins maybe being done, officially retired at yep. a Twins caravan stop. Was it where was it in Saint Cloud, Cloud I somewhere yesterday? Yeah. And Perk just sent a tweet out. Let me address the. Is this an elephant? Elephant in the room. Looks like an elephant it's an emoji. Ele- it's an elephant. The elephant in the room. I won't be playing baseball anymore. I'll spend my time brewing beer, smoking meat, woodworking, and hanging with my family. Or the same things I've been doing just without the baseball part. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that's Glenn's retirement tweet. We te- we were just texting during the break, and he's going to let that tweet simmer. He'll join the show sometime. He's not a big fanfare guy, so which is understandable. No retirement tearful press conference? Doesn't sound like it. Okay. That's not Glenn Perkins. But he's been... He's been a friend of our show for the last several years. He's been a regular, even back to the Roycey and Mackey show for yeah, a couple of years. Dubai and I, yep. And he is, if you break it down, he's one of the best relievers in Twins history, too. I just did the number crunching. 2.84 career ERA as a, as a reliever since he, you know, since he became a full-time reliever. 120 career saves, 10 strikeouts per nine innings, and a glorious neckbeard. Glorious neckbeard. All-star three times? 
three-time All-Star, yeah. and he closed out the Target Field All-Star game That's right. as well. So congrats on the great career, Glenn Perkins, and he might be able to join us, I don't know, maybe later this week, next week, but knowing Perk, he doesn't want, he maybe there's a press conference at some point, but I don't think he wants fanfare. I think he just wants to drink a couple and beers. And I can confirm he makes good beer. He does. Very important. High alcohol volume, though. You don't with want that, to drive, that home but you, stuff, you got to be careful. That is dangerous. So anyways, all right, back to Love Boat. Yes. Uh, this, this is amazing. The, we've got four or five sound bites here that we're going to play for you. Should we just play them in order that this you is, have them on the page, Dave? Does it even matter? I think that'll work just fine. Okay. Barstool Sports, correct, has yep. done a documentary. Barstool Sports now has a documentary wing, apparently. They're blowing up the past couple it's years. It's really well done. And they have put together, they sat down with Fred Smoot and Chris Cluey, who were both on the 2005 team. Only one of them was actually on the boat yes. and organized it. Can you guess which one? Oh, Cluey, all the way. Yeah, and Mike Rand was Playing a part video of this games. from the Star Tribune. Not part of the boat, Mike Rand wasn't. He was just part of the documentary. <laughs> sure. Peter King, too. Yeah, Peter King well, it's was, really, on, it's great. was it's on board, stuff. too. Not on board the boat, but he part of the documentary. <laughs> Careful. Okay. Let's just play some clips from this. Peter King's My wife and I were at home. We saw that there was this report that the Vikings were in trouble for this boat party. And we're like, why didn't we get invited to this party? A couple days later, uh, some more details came out. And we're like, hmm, probably a good thing we didn't get invited to that boat party. We had $80,000. All right? $80,000 for one night, one party. They used to throw the party at a club. Well, the club closed. So I came up with the idea. Yeah, I guess the mastermind. I like, how about, you know, it is the land of 10,000 lakes. How about we rent a boat? Probably 55 girls from all over the United States. New York, Florida, Miami, LA, Texas. So it ended up being a limo train of around 27 limos and limo buses. You would have thought the president was moving at this time. These girls, of course they were scrippers. Let's be honest about this. Right? They, they, they were scrippers. They were working girls. And I didn't like how the media tried to twist it and use the awful word of prostitute because they're two different things, okay? These were working girls. What's so, the difference? Well, hey, <laughs> the difference is a lot. At the end of the day, one is a little bit more tasteful than the other one, right? Dude, he's a man. It's Fred Smoot, obviously. Now, he he's a radio host in Washington, D.C., is that right? I think he's got a yeah, show now in D.C. Or, or he does. He was just... It was just It's so great comical. that it's been 12, 13, 12 years now, and he has zero apologies to give. Zero apologies. Only, so, so, Barstool did this documentary, which I think came out on Tuesday. Yahoo Sports is doing, is going to do their own piece about this. Only in Minnesota could we get a Super Bowl. And the Vikings are the host team. And people sit down and say, okay, we got to tell the story of that franchise that's going to host the game, right? Yeah. They're not playing in the game, but how do we tell their story? What should we tell? We already did the heartbreak losses thing for yeah, the NFC old. Championship game. What's I, the next most prominent story? I mean, you got what? The Wizinator. Love Boat. The first day back, we had a team meeting where Ziggy Wolf, the owner, called a team meeting. And he's literally almost got tears coming from his eyes. And he rips us a new one. Like, all of us. Like, to the point where his lip is shaking. It's only like two or three guys in there that just know they scot free like Chris Cluey because they wasn't there. He gets up in front of everyone and just starts dressing guys down. And, you know, and rightfully so, he, this reflected really badly on him. The scolding went on for like 45 minutes. It's like your mom, when you really didn't push her to the brink, 
he just kept coming and he just wouldn't stop to the point he was repeating himself. But you knew he meant everything that was coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and that led to the 77-page code of conduct. Which I want to find one. Who's got one? Somebody still has to one. have one. Well, it might get lost in the move now. Well, no, right. But I want one. I, I want to see. I, I remember seeing them. Because I think they distributed them to all employees and players. And I remember seeing them just sort of strewn around. Somebody had to have kept theirs. I want to see one now. Maybe it'll be available if they do a uh, Vikings garage sale, kind of like the Wolves did. (laughs) You mean the Timberwolves garage sale? Timberwolves garage sale! Man, that'd be great to get my hands on one of those. When we read the police report, no questions came up about it in the locker room. Did hits action happen? And they just say, guys, just smiled. I, I, I don't know what truly happened, but down south, it's no offense, we call that just running through the okra patch. I don't know if you've ever been barefooted and running through an okra patch. You know how slimy that feels? It's what you're thinking in your head, right? It's a very slimy situation that's just hard to get yourself out of. That's why it's called running through the okra patch. I love how <laughs> he really feels bad about it. You can tell Smoothie took it per, there's you know, a, there's very a, hard. There's a middle portion that Dave edited out of that clip. The, yeah, that's, the, yeah, the that's, description he was, yeah. his description was not safe for radio. But. <laughs> very much not. <laughs> he did say that Dante was basically a, a choir boy through the whole thing. Yes, though, right? and he threw a lot of other guys under the bus. So, oh, yeah. so I think he was being honest. He he described Bryant McKinney and oh McKinney the escapades. Was Mo Williams Mo yeah was that? well I, I t- told you guys I went to the trial I went and watched like a day of the trial and that's the one where Dante got up and said I was gambling I was on the deck gambling and and he he got off with nothing and that was also the day where Mo testified strip clubs. I've taken my mom to strip clubs before. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was his defense. Mom's gone to strip clubs with me, so what's wrong with this? Yeah, well, I mean, and, of course. and, and Chris Chris Cluey said it in the documentary that, hey, if there was no illegal activities taking place, but then they, these guys are free to live the lives but, that they want to live. But the documentary missed the most important thing. The re- They got in trouble because they got off the boat and peed on people's lawns, but the reason why they got in real trouble was this. The idiots didn't think to employ private servers. Yeah, they had high school kids, minors. Yeah, well, they had minors watching them. Yeah, so all they had to do was when they decided to import the gals to also say, "How can we get servers who we can tell that one, they're adults, and two, here's what's going to happen." So you've got eighty thousand dollars to throw a party, and so and you're and you're all multimillionaires. So if you needed to scrap for a couple extra thousand dollars to pay servers, you could, and you got everything. We're going to get a boat. We're going to bring in limos full of strippers from Atlanta, from Dallas, from all these places. And no one thought, like you said, maybe we should bring our own staff the on Minnetonka board the Minnetonka High School senior class was serving them. The boat will forever live on. The boat is a part of true Viking lure. The boat is a part of a partying decade. Dead boat would always be remembered. But you remember this. If you ever get on this boat... Please, don't turn on the black light. Please. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, he never changed. God. Can't imagine why the Vikings underachieved during the Mike Tice era. Alrighty, then. The the greatest comeuppance, though, that Smoot got is still Steve Smith in Carolina. The day that that shortly thereafter, Ticey decided 
Ticey decided that, what, Fred Smoot was going to cover Steve Smith the entire game. So he told Winfield, who was a really good cornerback, you're not going to be on Steve Smith, that Smoot's going to go from side to side. And it got so bad that Smith caught the pass at the three-yard line, went into the end zone, and did the rowing-the-boat motion. And eventually Smoot came up with some type of ankle sprain or something to get out of that game. It was so bad. Didn't they, though, because that... That was like October of 2005 is when that happened, right? They kind of an earlier bye week. It was week a bye week, yes. But didn't they yes. come charging back that season? Because then mm-hmm. Dante's knee got shredded. Brad Johnson. But they won a bunch of games down the stretch, nine and, and they finished 9-7. and seven. They did. They almost made the playoffs. They, yes. They, they galvanized, and they, they grouped together. And then Ziggy Wilf got fired in the locker room after they beat did. their— I'm sorry, Mike Tice. Well, yes. Ziggy Wilf fired Mike Tice. Yes. They after beat, the game. They beat someone the like Bears. the Buccaneers. Okay, Bears no, week the, 17. The, ba- the, Bears, the Bears were— really good that year. They had the division wrapped up, so I think they played their starters like two or three series, yanked them all out. The Vikings won, got to nine wins, and and as players basically had cleared out, I recall a Viking official went through the locker room and was handing out a press release saying Mike Tice has been fired and he handed it to Tice's kid who was a ball boy. And he and that's how, yet, And that's obviously. how Tice's kid found out. By wow. being handed a press release saying your dad just got axed. You know, we briefly had a guy on hold yesterday who didn't, uh, he dropped off. But in, in the description, and I don't know, Dave, you talked to him, you screened him, and in the, in the description it was, the Vikings should hire Mike Tice as the offensive line coach? Yes, or offensive coordinator. Did he give you any reasoning, or did he just say, put me on hold, I want to tell the guys? No, he just said exactly what you'd expect, that Mike Tice, when he was an offensive line coach, was a very good offensive He's, line coach. He, he did have a great offensive line with the with the Vikings, and he trusted uh, Mike would be a great OC to take over for uh, Shermer. Where is Ticey these days? Uh, he was in Oakland until now, but I'm sure he's gone from there. Offensive so line guy in pro- Oakland? He's probably out there, yeah. Okay. He, he is a very good assistant coach. Coordinator, I'm not sure, but if you brought him back as your old line coach, he'd be very good. Bring them all back. Bevel. Let's get Ticey back in here. That was Ziggy's first year, though. Oh my gosh, was he astounded! I really, I think because he he grew up as a Giants fan, I think he thought I'm getting into the National Football League, and these teams are all about class, right? Like the Shield. Mm-hmm. I'm going. I am finally in the group. I am part of the people that that you know are behind the great Shield of the National Football League. I own a heritage franchise, the Minnesota Vikings. And then the love boat happened. Here. He had eighty thousand dollars. All right, eighty thousand dollars for one night, one party. They used to throw the party at a club. Well, the club closed. So I came up with the idea. Yeah, I guess the mastermind. I like. How about? You know, it is the land of ten thousand lakes. How about? We rent a boat. Probably 55 girls from all over the United States. New York, Florida, Miami, L.A., Texas. So it ended up being a limo train of around 27 limos and limo buses. (laughs) You would have thought the president was moving at this time. These girls, of course they were scrippers. Let's be honest about this. All right? they, they, they were scrippers. They were working girls. And I didn't like how the media tried to twist it and use the awful word of prostitute because they're two different things, okay? These were working girls. What's so, the difference? Well, hey, the, the difference is a lot. At the end of the day, one is a little bit more tasteful than the other one, right? The boat will forever live on. The boat is a part of true Viking lure. <laughs> the boat is a part of a partying decade. Dead boat would always be remembered. But you remember this. If you ever get on this boat, please don't turn on the black light. Please. 
<laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Mike Golick Jr., I don't think he's been on a love boat before, but we can ask him at 1215. Not 12, many have, Phil Mackey, not many have. He'll join us. And uh, when we come back here, there was a story over the weekend on ESPN.com's 538 branch that very accurately foreshadowed what was going to happen on Sunday and paints a very accurate picture historically of what goes wrong in these situations for the Vikings. Not the love boat situations, the losing an NFC championship game or Super Bowl situation. Let's get to that next. Phil Mackey. He's pretty irreplaceable for us. He does a lot of things that go unnoticed. Judd Zolgad. Such a good dude. I have the utmost respect for him. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. I, I think I just said that we're going to work through the process. Did I just say that? Well, I'm going to work through the process just like I always do. We're going to evaluate all the players. We're going to evaluate um, everybody. And we're going to go like our business, like we always do. Mike Zimmer going to go through the quarterback process, the offensive coordinator process. And here's another process this franchise should attempt to go through. And I'm just going to summarize. Purging? Exorcism. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to give you just the the summation of a 538.com article. Mm-hmm. This is a branch of ESPN.com. It's like their analytics branch. And it's Nate Silver founded Baseball Prospectuses, Pakoda Player Projections, went on to the New York Times to do political stuff, and now they just kind of go back and gather data. Didn't take a whole lot of data to come to this conclusion, and it's a, it's a profound one. The Vikings' greatest strength historically always betrays them when it matters most, and it's so spot on. Let's start with Sunday and work our way back historically. <clears throat> Defense was their greatest strength, obviously. They had the number one ranked third down defense, points allowed, yardage defense. And you're playing a backup quarterback who's had some you know, starting success in the past. But you had your worst defensive performance of the year in every category. And also leaking back into the second half against the Saints. Worst since right? 2014. So there it is. Yep. So in your biggest moment, yep. 2017, the thing that got you there, which is defense, betrays you in, in the biggest moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, two th- let's go back to 2009. You could probably even fill in some of the other cracks here. But in 2009, your greatest strength was Brett Favre. You bring him on board. It's a revenge tour all season. Beat the Packers. And Brett Favre, the guy that puts up the best, maybe the best performance of his career. You could make some you know, comparisons to the mid-90s for him when he won MVP awards and won a Super Bowl in Green Bay. But it might have been the best, most efficient offensive season of his career. And he limited the interceptions. He didn't even throw 10 interceptions that year in the regular season. And he is the thing that betrays you when all the chips are on the table. Yep. This theory holds true also in 1998 and 2000 with the NFC Championship games against the Falcons and the Giants. Offense is the thing that that was your greatest strength and got you to the NFC Championship game in 98 and 2000. Well, it didn't even show up in New York in 2000. You scored zero points. And in 1998, instead of maybe taking the ball back, end of regulation, going down the field, scoring a touchdown, kicking a field goal, you take a knee. And your kicker had been perfect until he missed yes. in that game. Kicker had been perfect. One of your greatest strengths. Yep. He misses. And you had the ball in overtime. And you couldn't score points in sudden death overtime. Mm-hmm. And you could even take this back to the 70s. When the Vikings had the purple people leader defense, and especially that fourth Super Bowl, when I believe they gave up like 34 points to the Raiders, there might have been a pick six in there, but uh, the best defense in the NFL or one of the best defenses gives up more points and more yards and gets outplayed more than they ordinarily would. 
It's an amazing, consistent pattern of events. The greatest strength of the Vikings always betraying them when it matters the most. And as I read this piece, though, it crystallized even more that that our list of of biggest heartbreaks for the Vikings was absolutely correct. What happened on Sunday is more painful than 2009, and here's here's why even more so. If I had come up to you before the Saints game in two, in January of 2010 that year, and I had said to you, okay, Phil, here's what's going to happen. Brett Favre is going to let you down. Brett Favre is going to throw an inopportune pick. You would have thought to yourself, well, Favre's had a really nice year, and he's played really well, and he hasn't thrown a lot of bad picks, but you know what? Yeah, I've seen it before. And in fact, Brett Favre had thrown that exact same pass in the same situation, basically, two years prior in the conference title game against the Giants while playing at Lambeau Field for Green Bay, right? Yeah. The reason why Sunday's loss is number two on the list of Vikings heartbreaks to 98 in my mind is if I told you on this show last Thursday or Friday, (laughs) get this, the defense is going to melt down. The Eagles are going to convert on third downs. Harrison Smith is going to play as poor a game as he can possibly play. Nick Foles is going to eat you alive. I think he would have stopped me. Mm -hmm. I think he would have stopped me and said, Judd, are you smoking something? <laughs> the far, the farm thing was not incomprehensible. It was disappointing, but you wouldn't be shocked if I had told you that. This is a bigger letdown because the thing that you held near and dear to your heart up until Sunday, you didn't even see the cracks in the foundation. Yeah, but now, I mean, going forward, I think we can always expect, wh- whether it's a different coach or a different quarterback, different 53-man roster, different era, whatever is the thing that that you hang your hat on for that Vikings team, just fully expect it to go haywire in the NFC Championship game or in a Super Bowl, right? Yes, if, if not uh, earlier, I guess. Well, I mean, you could even say, if you want to go more granular, Adrian Peterson was was your greatest offensive strength in, well, let's say your second greatest offensive strength in 2009, because Brett Favre was your, was your greatest. Yep. And he put the ball on the ground twice, which wasn't shocking or out of the ordinary for him. But again, if he's one of your greatest strengths and he has to betray you to fit the narrative, he did. It's amazing. It's time and time again. And I, I mean, I in 1998, it's so inexplicable why they didn't be more like why weren't you more aggressive in the fourth quarter? Why weren't you more aggressive There's in overtime? A lot of things you from know, that like game why, that you can't explain. Why not go down swinging with the greatest offense in the history of the NFL? And then you're watching that game on Sunday, and you're thinking. Harrison Smith looks like he's never covered a tight end before. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, no, it, was... they, they, it looks like they're being. It looks like they're they're playing like two speeds ahead in Madden, where you go, you want to play at like the second level, but you're playing at the All Pro level, and all the players are faster mm-hmm. than you thought. It's ridiculous. The, the meltdowns of uh, 2017 and 98. If someone had painted that picture for you a few days before the game, you would have said you're crazy. Mm-hmm. You would have said you're absolutely crazy. That's not going to happen. They might lose to the Eagles, I get that, and it might be a close game. I'll go back to saying the only result that I never saw coming was the result that happened. Everything else, the loss doesn't shock me. If it had been a close game, it doesn't shock me. If the Vikings win by a lot, it doesn't shock me. The only thing as of last Friday that I was unwilling to allow for was the fact that the Vikings could get blown off the field and embarrassed, and that's exactly what they did to themselves. And a lot of people would say, well, that's on you for not maybe being more skeptical about Vikings history. And I would say going forward, we're foolish if we play that game again and say, well, what's a scenario that just like won't happen? Because the answer is all scenarios are on the table for the Vikings, except maybe the happy ending. 
Like regard, <laughs> regardless of what you think, regardless of the era in ten years from now, yeah. let's just vow in ten years to to if if they're sixteen and zero going into the be Super dead Bowl in ten years, dude, and they're playing the Browns, I might not have ten years left. Who knows? I don't know. Expect the unexpected. You might live for twenty. You follow the Vikings. That's a good point. Yep. Uh, we can open the phone lines again too. We've been talking about Daryl Bevel. The Vikings are going to interview Daryl Bevel for an offensive coordinator spot. So uh, would you be on board with that? And it sounds like Mike Zimmer is leaning Teddy Bridgewater based on his comments yesterday. It's hard to glean everything, but he was very dismissive of Case Keenum comments and very much willing to discuss Teddy Bridgewater and the courageous effort to come back and play in a game. So uh, let's go open phone lines for the next two segments on those topics and anything else. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. I am a fan. I can look at them all day long and die laughing. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All next week, 1500 ESPN will be live from Radio Row ahead of the big game. Sponsored by Mall of America, Mackie and Judd, live on Radio Road Monday through Friday, followed by Saturday Sports Talk on the 3rd, and of course Sunday Sports Talk on February 4th. To wrap it up on game day, for all the details, head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword football. Obviously, we would have liked to see him more on the field, but you know, quite honestly, for him to get on the field is an unbelievable achievement. Uh, you know, when this injury happened, I mean, I can kind of go through it. There was, you know, we researched this injury. There was 24 of these similar types of injuries through all sports. Half of them never came back. <clears throat> and I think the earliest one anybody ever came back was 24 months. Yeah, he was, Mike Zimmer was very open about Teddy Bridgewater and praise, and he wasn't so much about Case Keenum yesterday. He had a couple chances to praise Case Keenum, and it's just obvious he likes Teddy Bridgewater uh a little bit better here. Hey, can you help answer this question? This is about the third time I've seen this in our Twitter feeds uh, about Teddy Bridgewater and tolling his contract. contract. Yes. So that means that they would, because of injury, they'd be able to just keep him on the $1 million deal for an extra year. Correct. But they activated him halfway through the season, and he was a backup and played in a game. So I'm sure his camp isn't going to let that fly. Uh, So the the CBA, I believe, says that if you're on the uh, physically unable to perform list to begin a season and you have to remain there for six weeks, that technically your contract can be told and revert back to the previous season. That's what the CBA says. Uh, my, My understanding is that that has never been done. That if he had spent... The whole year out, then there's a chance to go to him and his camp and say, "Look, Teddy, you didn't practice, you didn't play. Uh, we're we're going to try, or we want to bring you back on your old contract." And then he can grieve that if he wants, but it's a yeah. much tougher case. But when they activated him and he practiced and he was the backup quarterback, I think he was the backup quarterback until these last two playoff games when he was inactive. I think he was backup something like weeks what ten through seventeen. Yeah. At that point, I'm going to be very shocked if they go back to. To him now, especially since, or if they go back to him and try and tell him that they're going to toll his contract, especially since they like him so much, yeah, because that's a grievance waiting to happen. You can't not grieve that because it's, as far as I know, not been done before. So if you allow that and, and you're just like, oh, cool, I'll come back on, on my old contract, the rest of the league's going to be like, what are you doing? Yeah. So I am, I am fairly convinced that considering the Vikings like this guy so much and in our belief for both of us is that they they want to keep him long term and for him to be their quarterback that they won't do that see what's really hard and i, I mean you and i are both 
pro-Teddy, but not like Teddy Kool-Aid drinkers. You know, I think we both see the upside there. We both see the limitations around him, including the offensive scheme not being catered to him, even though he was a first-round quarterback. Like, we we look at it and, and piece together the whole big picture and say, yeah, I could see how you'd be intrigued by Teddy Bridgewater long-term. The problem is I don't know if Bridgewater's path to his peak matches up with the Vikings' current Super Bowl window. Where if you brought him, it might it might take him a couple years to sort of, maybe he's a decent quarterback and a game manager type quarterback, but can he settle in after not having seen bullets fly in basically two years, except yeah. for the five plays he ran in, in November or December? And then you start to look at the teams the Vikings have to play next year and the quarterbacks they have to play. So by my count, they get nine games against either Hall of Fame quarterbacks, MVP-ish quarterbacks, or the Rams offense, which is yep. like collectively one of the best in the NFL. So they get Aaron Rodgers twice. Yep. They get Tom Brady. This is assuming that Brady goes back to the Patriots and Breeze goes back to the Saints. They get Breeze. Russell Wilson's on your schedule. Carson Wentz and the Eagles are back on your schedule. That's a road game. Yep. Stafford twice. Mm-hmm. And the Rams offense. Your road games alone. So you get Chicago, Detroit. At Green Bay, mm-hmm. at the Rams, at Seattle, at New England. This is where it's at. Jets, but yes. then at Philadelphia. Yes. That's insane. Like, there's no way to put together a tougher road schedule for a team in the NFL than what the Vikings face next year. So whether it's Teddy or Case, there's going to be reasons to be skeptical about pretty much every internal option they have right now. My thoughts on Teddy are are twofold. I don't know that I'm sold personally. Because I I think you're probably right. I think this probably takes a year of getting back in and getting comfortable. And so if you're saying to yourself, as of 2017, the clock is ticking. And let's say that clock can run for three years. You can't really necessarily just afford to say, well, 2018, we'll we'll be back next year. Um, So personally, I'm not sure how sold on Teddy I am completely or going that direction. But everything you see from the team says that. That's my point. Everything that you see, I hey, listen. Privately starting on Monday, I was calling Breeze people and just saying, "Hey, you know what? I know you like the Saints, but that's my own opinion, but there's nothing that we have seen from the Vikings that does that says to us, I think they might not like Teddy that that much. The players all still love him. The head coach loves him. The GM, who's got a lot of pride, drafted him. Yeah. So I keep going back to to the Teddy as the solution because I think that's what the team's going to do. Yeah. It's just it's really it's a long term. I see it. Short term, it's he'd have to be brilliant right away. Like get the rust out in the off season and the preseason, and you got to be brilliant right away. And for people asking. Well, why are you guys so focused on Case Keenum and the quarterback? They just got beat 38-7. to The defense was the problem. The defense was a disaster. Absolute disaster in the second half against the Saints and in that NFC Championship game. And we brought up all the numbers. It was like Texas Tech was playing defense out there. It was a, it was a Big 12 yeah. Civ defense yes. that gave up 55 points and like 600-some yards passing or something. Mm-hmm. Totally get that. Mm-hmm. It's not about what happened in that game as much as what's projected going forward, and how repeatable are some of these performances or some of these flops. Like, I don't think the Vikings defense is going to be awful next year in four months just because, uh, in a four-month regular season, just because they got waxed against the Eagles. Like, they might take a step back, 
But so, you know, so why do you guys, you know, why are you having so many discussions about Keenum? Because of the schedule and because of all these factors. It, they're they're going to, the schedule, because you win the division, is much tougher just by nature. But I didn't even include in that in that list of quarterbacks, I didn't even, I, Arizona might sign a good free, what if Arizona trades for like Alex Smith or something? Yep. Jimmy Garoppolo is on your schedule. You got him at home, yes. Like, there's there's all kinds of games. The only gimme game I would say on their schedule next year. Let's yep. count the Bears twice, even though they might take a step forward. Let's count the Bears twice. Let's count Miami at home and the Jets on the road. Yep. Every other game is a Hall of Fame quarterback, an MVP caliber quarterback, Bu- a Buffalo or an up and coming right? team. Buffalo too. Like Buffalo? That's not a gimme. They made the playoffs. I know, but their quarterback is going to be. It ain't, cool. it, it ain't a gimme game, though. You can't say that's a gimme game. That's but okay. I'll give that to you. That's All that's right. like five. No, it's still not great. <laughs> it's amazing. I I'm starting from this point. Do I believe that Case Keenum put together a season that is sustainable for him for the long term? And just as a gut feeling, my answer is no. It's not six five one six four six eight two five five. If you disagree with us, six five uh, eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. And I'm going to paint for you a scenario that just came to me that might be genius. It might be genius, according to who? According we'll be... to me. Okay, it might be genius. 